Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Hate, a podcast about books that we hate. I am your host, Ashley, and in each episode of Book Hate, myself and a guest will do a deep dive into a book that other people loved, but we just happen to hate. Today, my guest is Tess, the new youth intern at the Southfield Public Library. Welcome, Tess. So glad you could join us. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, Tell us a little about yourself. What type of reader are you? Do you have a favorite book? I have a favorite series. Uh, The first series that I ever really got into was Maximum Ride by James Patterson. Mm -hmm. And since then, it has always been my comfort series that I continuously keep going back to. But uh, over time, I mainly read uh, YA. I have read a lot of tween. And lately, I've been getting really into graphic novels. So I kind of pick those up whenever I can since they seem to be few and far between sometimes when searching. <laughs> uh, did you read the graphic novel Maximum Rides or did you start with the novelizations? I started with the novels. I I read it all the way back in middle school. It feels like forever ago. <laughs> but um, I actually read it when it was only a trilogy before like all the other Well now there's like seven or like there's three like sister series or something. Yeah, there's like different arcs and everything throughout the series. So I read it when it was originally just a trilogy and then we didn't know that more books were coming out and all of a sudden James Patterson was just like, hey, here's some more. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll read the crap out of these. <laughs> okay, so we know what books you do enjoy. Uh, what book do we hate, Tess? What are we talking about today? Today we are specifically talking about Airhead by Meg Cabot who is probably, I would say, most known for writing the Princess Diaries series on top of, like, a bunch of others. She she writes a lot. Yeah, she's kind of, like, YA royalty. Or not even just YA, but, like, American author royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, she's written she just, a lot of bestsellers. Yep. Uh, Which is why it surprised me that I hated this book as much <laughs> as I did. <laughs> because I've read the Princess Diaries. I've read, you know, a bunch of her other books of like her single books, like All American Girl, Pants on Fire. Uh, like I've read those. And so when I picked this book up, I would say I first read it in college. Um, but when I picked this book up, I actually didn't have like a book jacket on my book. It was just like the plain purple oh. hardcover. So all I had to go off of was Meg Cabot and the title of Airhead. And I was like, you know what? And my I think my sister told me, I think it's about a supermodel. And that's all I got. So yeah, this episode is a little different because I had never read Airhead um, uh, or any other Meg Cabot book. I've never read anything by her. I am a little upset that you brought this into my life. I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Because I also hated this book um, a whole lot. Uh, It was a rough read. Uh. So like we had said, uh, Meg Cabot's kind of like author royalty. Um, She wrote The Princess Diaries, um, a lot of bestsellers. She's written books for adults, kids, and teens. She's kind of one of those authors that like when I see she has a new book out, I automatically buy it for the library because I know it's going to be popular. Mm -hmm. Um, did you stay a Meg Cabot fan after reading this book? Uh, surprisingly, I don't think so. I think (laughs) I, I think I hit my limit where I kind of realized that, 
a little bit of like they're the same book over and over but also the just the premise and everything in this book were so far-fetched and then I found out that it was actually a trilogy yeah there are two more more books (laughs) which like does make me happy because one of my problems I had this book was I felt like I like I finished the book and I wasn't fulfilled Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like ah it's an ending it felt like ah go read the next one versus you know being able to have a good finale so I I think it just ended up making me (laughs) not want to continue reading her works well and like my I didn't realize that it was a trilogy until I had ended the book and there was like a find out what happens next kind of thing Mm -hmm. But once I was getting towards the end and there was only like five or ten pages left and nothing seemed to have been resolved, I kind of wondered if maybe it was written as like a TV pilot. And so I thought like maybe that was like the point of why it's just an opener. This will make a lot of sense as a TV pilot. Yeah, I could see this as like being something like nice and gossip girl adjacent and Mm -hmm. lots of pretty people wearing pretty clothes. Mm -hmm. But I don't think this book has turned me into a Meg Cabot fan. I don't think I'll read anything else by her. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I think this was a one and done for me. All right, so let's judge this book by its cover a little bit. Um, this is a, re- a reoccurring segment on a Book Hate where we judge the book by its cover. And you had mentioned that uh, your original read didn't have a cover. It was just a purple cover, you said? Yeah, so I had... My book originally came from my sister's bookshelf because how I accumulated most of my books over time is by through hand-me-downs because <laughs> I'm the youngest of three. So when my sisters didn't want the books anymore, they came to me. And this one specifically, it's a hardcover and my sister, I don't know if she destroyed it or she lost it, but it didn't come with a book jacket. So uh, all I had to go off of was a giant purple brick of a book that said Airhead. And I was just like, oh, I've read Meg Cabot before. I'm just going to go for it. And now, looking back, I probably should have looked up a summary. And maybe (laughs) I could have spared myself. (laughs) Yeah, so I um, picked up the paperback. The paperback um, uh, that we had at the library. And uh, I'm going to describe it for our listeners at home. So it's got... A beautiful blonde girl walking like the red carpet and in the background she's kind of surrounded by all these flash bulbs of photographers and so they're providing all of the light so they all fade into the back so it's kind of just like this one single girl um, on a red carpet wearing like a short shiny dress um, and kind of like a vacant expression on her face so you're kind of led to believe that maybe she is the airhead um, in the title and then the tagline just says looks can be deceiving I because I had didn't really know what this book was about um I was just really struck by how unproportional the girl in the cover is because <laughs> um, yeah. like it might just be the cut of her dress um or the lighting in the picture but it definitely looks like she is two-thirds leg and one-third rest of her body um and that just really it irritated me a lot and I had a hard time moving past it I can see that but at the same time I think it kind of matches the story as you know and and it matches the tagline of like looks can be deceiving 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that kind of leads us right into um, the plot. And so I'm going to read the synopsis on the back of the book. And then I would like you, Tess, to give your synopsis. Because I don't feel that the one on the back of the book matches what the book is about at all. Um, So what we have here is Emerson Watts is gone. Emerson Watts didn't even want to go to the new Soho Stark Megastore Grand Opening and had zero interest in meeting the newly appointed face of Stark, teen supermodel sensation, Nikki Howard. But how was Em to know that disaster would strike, changing her, and life as she'd known it, forever? (laughs) One bizarre accident later, and Em Watts, always a tomboy, never the party princess, is no longer herself, literally. Now getting her best friend Christopher to notice she's actually a girl is the least of M's problems. But what M's pretty sure she'll never be able to accept might just turn out to be the one thing that's gonna make all her dreams come true. Nikki Howard is here to stay. Question, what dreams does M have? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't have a dream, technically, I guess, other than to get noticed by Christopher. Maybe that's her dream? Oh, that's a sad dream, girl. Yeah. All right, so why don't you tell us what the book is about? Now, my synopsis, should it stay spoiler-free? Uh, no, I don't think that's necessary. Cause... Okay, so, like, from this point on, major spoilers. Because the reason the synopsis is so, we'll go with vague on the back cover is because the main premise of this story is that yes, M, our protagonist goes to a superstore opening. She gets into an accident and it turns out that at the same time, supermodel Nikki Howard has a brain aneurysm and the superstore corporation Stark pays for M's brain to be put into Nikki Howard's body. We have a brain swap, basically. A brain transplant. It is a brain transplant. And they even acknowledge it in the book of like, but brain transplants are real. That's not a thing. And they just make it real by saying, we've been doing it for years, despite it not being ethical. Or I guess technically FDA approved. (laughs) So, the synopsis of the book would be that M is now, for three-fourths of the book, I would say, dying and coming to terms with the fact that she's now has to be a supermodel and nobody other than the medical staff and her family knows. Yeah. um, One, so, like, we're stretching the bounds of uh, plausibility by a wide margin in this book. Like... Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and what is her biggest problem? That she's now in this famous person's body, I guess. Yes. And I guess the, the big problem would be that she is a tomboy in a supermodel. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, and we're going to get into this maybe a little bit later, but that is something that really drove me crazy, is that um, Emerson's a complete lack of awareness of basic bodily care. Um, she doesn't know how to wash her hair. She doesn't know what a conditioner is or 
that you wouldn't use like a bar of soap on your face. Like I, I like what kid in America has not seen a Clearasol commercial or a Neutrogena commercial? Like <laughs> you know that there's a different soap for your face. <laughs> yes. Just like, you know, you know, you may not condition, like do a deep condition routine, but I, I don't know many girls that, you know, didn't learn you do a shampoo and a conditioner. Like, yeah. even if you did a two-in-one, you knew there was conditioner There's in there. You knew what there. the point of conditioner was. Yeah. Um, just that, I, didn't I mean. Know you, I didn't know you could be such a tomboy that apparently you lose the knowledge of personal hygiene. Yeah. Like, well, and like, not only does she like not have this knowledge to begin with, but she almost refuses to gain it. Like her, her beauty team tells her multiple times, you got to wash your hair, girl. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that was just a little thing that bothered me. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Uh, what about this book? Do you really remember hating? Uh, one of the things for me is, um, I should point out that as an undergrad, I did a lot of creative writing. So one of the things for me was the sheer amount of times that she, once she found out that she was in the supermodel's body, she would say, I lifted my hand. I'm sorry, Nikki Howard's hand. Or like she like, mm-hmm. and I get that it's, they were kind of trying to make across a point of she had a brain transplant. She's not used to being in this body. But just the sheer amount of times that she would say she did something, but then say her body did it, that Nikki did it. And I was like, we get it. You're in a supermodel's body. I understand that this is a big thing that you have to come to terms with. But as a reader, I was like, I get it. (laughs) Find a different way to show that lack of coordination. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, yeah, I agree. One of the first things that... I noticed about this was like the vocab is really high like the vocabulary that Meg Habit uses mm-hmm. like she uses a lot of like complex or unusual words but she also doesn't trust her reader to know what those are or the meaning of them and to be able to figure them out and so she kind of restates the same thing over and over and over again to make sure that you understand what's happening mm-hmm. because she chose to use this word that maybe a lot of teens don't know Um, and so like, I kind of felt like I was reading SAT prep material after a while. Like I was trying, I was being taught new words, like a word of the day calendar or something (gasps) like, no, thank you. This is like, and especially because this is such a fluff, fluff book, like this, like the plot of this book to the extent that there is a plot, um, is nothing like it's essentially the, like it. After she gets her, she finds out that she's Nikki Howard and that she's had the brain transplant, it kind of just turns into, look at all these boys that want me. And that became the plot of, like, there's four boys that want me, but the one that I want doesn't know I'm alive. (laughs) So it's just, like, is that the plot? Like, they didn't even come, she didn't even come to terms yet with being Nikki. Which is, mm-hmm. I think, ironically, I think that's the name of the next book. is called Being Nikki. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I believe it is. Um, so we find out on, like, this is a 360-page book, I guess. 330 pages, sorry. Um, and we find out on page 120 
that is when they officially announce the brain transplant. It takes 20 pages for mm-hmm. Meg Cabot to come out and say that that's what it is. Um, but then nothing happens for the re- remaining of the remainder of the book. Like she models a little bit. Like mm-hmm. she meets a few boys. She dismisses everyone in Nikki's life as being an idiot. And there's no character growth. Mm-mm. Um, the the only bit of mystery we get is that somebody has spyware on on Nikki and her roommate Lulu's computers, <laughs> which she's just so certain that it's Stark that is spying on them. Yet we get nothing beyond she bought a new computer to bypass the spyware. Yeah, like oh, somebody's spying on me. I got to get a new computer and like it comes up maybe like in three sentences over 200 pages mm-hmm. and you're clinging to that as the reader as like being something to like mm-hmm. happen like figure like, out the, why the, is Stark spying on her is she yeah. mad about it did Nikki know about it like there's no one else fishy in her universe there's nothing else fishy the only fishy thing is that they went to the lengths to give a girl a brain transplant in order to make the model yeah. obligated to her contracts. <laughs> okay, and then we're going to get into the contract thing. Because how <laughs> does... Okay, <laughs> so Nikki Howard died. So any contracts that Nikki Howard signed would be null and void because she is dead. Correct? Technically. Technically. And then Emerson is no longer Emerson what's her Emerson Watts is no longer uh the child of her parents because that body is dead yeah and so how is she beholden to anything that her parents signed on her behalf I, how how could her parents sign that like let's just talk yeah. about that plot hole oh man I'm so upset that my child was smushed by a plasma screen tv and that I, I let smushed evil... is the technical term it she's smushed. definitely smushed she was definitely <laughs> smushed everything though butter butter brain she was pretty much I just when I pictured it I just pictured like a giant tv but her head poking out because <laughs> obviously like, every verse was at her boss yeah and everything would have been smushed but like oh. whose whose parents are like I'm so overcome with grief I want her to continue living have a brain transplant well like but- continue living in this way that I don't get to acknowledge that she's my daughter anymore mm-hmm. so like that I mean like I don't have children I've never been in this position like I should put that caveat out there but like Same. <laughs> I don't think that most parents would make that choice <laughs> it's just and it's one thing for me is that they just paid for it, but the parents didn't get anything. Kind of right. like you said, because they can't—they can't knowingly say, "Oh yes, Nikki Howard is my daughter," oh my because she's not. She doesn't. She's and not they, allowed to live with them anymore. Like, but she does go for pizza at the end of the book. So you know, and yeah. then her roommates just like, "Why are we here?" And she's just like, "Oh, I like these people." Right, and so like that was something else that I wrote down is like the plot. Or, like, the characters kind of move back and forth. Because there's some instances where it seems like Lulu is on the same page. That, like, this is Nikki's body, but not Nikki's brain. She totally believes the Freaky Friday brain swap thing. Spirit transfer is Spirit what transfer, I'm sorry, yes. The spirit transfer. So that's fine. But then, like, two sentences later, she's acting as if it is Nikki. And she's just kind of confused. And so I couldn't tell where we're supposed to feel on Lulu. Like, do we trust her? Does she know what's going on? 
Or is she being duped like everyone else in Nikki's life? And like... One thing about Lulu, though, and again, a spoiler, but she knows that old Nikki was fooling around with her boyfriend and she was okay with it. Like, she knew of this deception that old Nikki was doing that M. Nikki was not okay with. And she was just like, oh, yeah, he buys me things when he's being dumb. And ever since you guys came back from Paris, he's been buying me a lot of stuff. And I was like, okay, so you're, like, okay with being deceiving yourself. Right. I took that as to be, like, Lulu was not very emotionally invested in this young man. Mm -hmm. And that she was just... She, like, didn't care. Um, she just having a good time. Yeah, like, that's a choice that she can make. Like, more power to her. Um, but I I really... I had a hard time uh, with something else that Nikki said... Or Lulu says, I'm sorry. Lulu says towards the end of the book when they're discussing uh, their boy problems. And uh, this kind of... Throughout this book, there is a lot of what I'm calling toxic feminism... Because it is not... Good word. (laughs) It it really bothered me. Um, But so at the end, uh, Emerson is kind of unloading about why she's so sad that Christopher, her old best friend, doesn't seem to be acknowledging her. And Lulu's like, girl, you're too pretty. You're too pretty for all of this. You just... You have such a responsibility because you're so beautiful that no one else knows how to handle themselves around you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, Pretty or not, you are not responsible for anyone else's actions. (laughs) Okay. Toxic, would you say toxic femininity? Uh, Yeah, I call it uh, toxic femininity or toxic uh, feminism. Yeah, like... It definitely is that... And she used a Spider-Man reference, which... Why is this person who knows nothing other than modeling all of a sudden telling us a Spider-Man reference? Yeah. But, you know, that's something else. Where she's just saying that it it's her responsibility to figure out what kind of love these boys have as well. Of, like, whether or not they're just so overcome by her beauty that they're pushing it down and acting like they don't care. Like, what is that? Or forcing themselves upon her. There was a lot of forced kissing in this There is a lot. There was a lot of I deserve this kind of. Where they were like, oh, yes, I, you know, have made the decision to be this way. And I'm just like, no. Uh, Why why are you doing this? I kept on having to put down the book a lot at those, like, middle sections where all of a sudden she was just like, oh, but apparently I like kissing now. I was like, wait, 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 you can't just... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, so they're in one breath, like, we're, or Emerson is kind of portraying herself as this, like, model feminist, and, you know, she, but she's constantly shaming the women around her. She makes fun of Frida for wanting to be a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. She, like, judges every, Lulu and Nikki very harshly for taking pride in their appearance, when it's mm-hmm. clearly something that they work at. Like, yes, mm-hmm. she's, they're naturally beautiful people, but they put a lot of effort and time mm-hmm. into that. And they enjoy it. Like, that's their choice. And at the end of the book, she has not grown at all. She hasn't taken into account that, like, she, like, realizes that the cheerleading table at school is, like, full of nice, cool girls. But she doesn't 
ever apologized to her sister for making fun of her, that choice. She never, yeah. like... Her it, relationship with her sister makes me just sad and feel like Meg Cabot never had a sister. Yeah, or like it was a really bad relationship. Yeah, because being the youngest of three, I am very used to, you know, the difficulties that come with having an older sister or two. And, but it never at one point would our fight not end with making up. Like her and her sister never seemed to make up. And obviously that's just my perception of it because that's what me and my sisters did. But I just feel like as bad as it sounds like she didn't love her sister. Like she didn't care to, the most we get is when she's already Nikki is she gives her, she, she talks to her on the school steps, thus giving her sister status. She tells her she looks cute in the cheerleading uniform instead of telling her that she, you know, hated it, even though she did. And then she sits with her at lunch again to give her more status. Like you're doing these nice things, but I've never heard you say anything nice to your sister. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes both ways. Like when they're in the hospital, Frida is like sitting at the end of her bed, like sobbing but, like, they never unpack, like, that at all. Like, she's never like, oh, I'm so glad you're still alive. Or I'm so glad you're still you in there. I didn't believe that it would be. She just gets mad at her for bringing the hot British rocker to the hospital. Like, I couldn't believe you did that. Like, what? You don't know yeah. this man. Or she gets mad that she was allegedly kidnapped by Lulu and her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend. We don't know. Yeah. Like, she was allegedly kidnapped by them, and she's like, oh, my God, you were with them? And it's like, they took me out of my hospital room. <laughs> I couldn't stop them. I didn't. At that point, she didn't know she was Nikki. She was so confused. Yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely never unpack that. <laughs> a big thing for me is kind of like a general thing where I think this book would make so much sense if there were more sci-fi elements. I think that, to me... That's how the brain transplant would have settled better. But the fact that it's not sci-fi and the best way to describe it is it's more soap opera Mm -hmm. makes it feel extra gimmicky in a way. Yeah, like if she hadn't woken up in a hospital but in some sort of like Stark Industries lab, Mm -hmm. I could have, I could have like, and then there would have been like this whole like science intrigue or like corporate espionage angle that you could have taken. That and then, like, eyewear would have made more sense, too, right. if you were, like, involved in this sort of lab rat situation. But they're, they're, they always say that if you want to make your, like, magical world seem more real, you just got to lean into it. You just okay. got to be like, this is happening because it happens and not give a good reason why. And I don't feel like the brain transplant hit the same way that it was supposed to. No. Or they were, they they gave a reason. They said, "Ah, oh, yes, if you're rich and fa- and famous, you can pay for a brain transplant." It's we've been doing it for years, but I was just like, "That's not a good enough reason to do it." Right. Well, and like, there's like one line. It's kind of a throwaway that says, "Like, and you maybe have already like seen it happen." Like they allude to the fact that there are famous people whose brains have been transplanted. Mm-hmm. And that, like, we would recognize them if we had only known. And so, like, if they had kind of, like, brought that out, like, sent one of those characters in to kind of, like, be like, this is how you get reacquainted with this new body. 
That would have been really interesting. And another sci-fi element yeah. to meet somebody else. I could have gotten on board with that. For sure. I relate it to a soap opera because I remember when I first read this that I kind of related it to when Joey Tribbiani on Friends <laughs> had a brain transplant on yeah. Days of Our Lives. <laughs> and he got a woman's brain put into yeah. his body. Like, I was like, okay, we're just having a Friends moment, I guess. <laughs> but that might also be why I thought that it was a little too far-fetched. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I had forgotten about that. Just that I thought I would be able to reread this book in a couple days, and it took me at least a solid week because I kept on having to put it down and walk away. <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised at how long it took me to read this book because, like, I, I read fast, um, and this is this kind of book I would easily put away in an afternoon probably, mm -hmm. and it probably took me, like, four or five days because I had to like stop. I, it was just too much for like more to do all in one sitting. I had to break it up. I usually broke it up when it got kind of stale. Like when we mm -hmm. were learning the same thing. Just the same sort of plot points that were just being repeated. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, another boy. Oh, look, now we're learning how to model. Oh, finally, we're going to school. Like it yeah. just took so long. But then it makes me wonder because it ends so abruptly abruptly I wonder if it's kind of a, um, a Fifty Shades of Grey situation where it was actually all one book and then they split it into a trilogy to make more money I kind of wondered that too um that crossed my mind for sure because mm -hmm. it there wasn't even with like the first book in the trilogy or series there's usually something that gets wrapped up something mm -hmm. happens and then something else happens to make you want to read the next one. It's not just one drawn out plot point. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that their wrap up point was that she was now like becoming okay with being a model and she was going back to school. So she was doing something that M would want to do, but then they just kind of, uh, threw in her throwing down some dinosaur stickers at Christopher, her best friend who knows, thinks she's dead. She threw down some dinosaur stickers that we have no clue what that means. Dinosaur stickers were not talked about any other time in the book. And she's like, I hope he knows what it means. Yeah. I, what? No, nobody, nobody knows. Honey. No. Nobody knows, which makes me think if there was a next chapter and not a next book, it'd probably make more sense. Or if he had come back, if like the dinosaur stickers had more of a meaning or something that we could figure out. And if he had come back in like the next chapter, gave him back some sort of reference to the fact that he didn't know what that meant, that would have been a great cliffhanger. Now if something has happened, like Christopher knows who she is, and now I want to know why, what they're gonna do about it. I did want to take a quick minute to uh, talk about some of the fashion in this book. She's a fashion model, so there are a lot of name brands that are dropped. Mm -hmm. um, but there was one scene where Frida accuses Emerson of wearing a scrunchie and being so out of style by wearing a scrunchie. <laughs> and um, she says, scrunchies are so 2002. Um, I beg to differ. No one in 2002 was wearing a scrunchie. No one. <laughs> I feel like... Scrunchies were the 90s. Yes. 
if that. Like, I mean, the only reason, and scrunchies are now back. Scrunchies you know, are back it, hard now. But, like, scrunchie, you don't really wear the scrunchies. The scrunchie is more of a bracelet now, if I can tell. Well, and I do remember stacking my scrunchies up my arm in, like, fifth grade. But that would have been in, like, 1997 <laughs> and not 2002. <laughs> no. But that again... The 90s did kind of bleed into the 2000s, so maybe that's where she's coming from. Not we'll in just... New York City. No, not <laughs> You're right. You're right. So we clearly had some opinions on this book. Um, just a little bit. And while we weren't alone in our hatred, uh, we were definitely outnumbered. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our very own betrayed us. Our dear co-worker Shari wrote a review of this book in School Library Journal in 2008. And our our darling Shari wrote, uh, Cabot delivers yet another fun and frothy piece of escapism in this far-fetched but rousing roller coaster ride of a novel. Clearly, the only reasonable course for us is to terminate our friendship with Shari immediately. No! <laughs> I stumbled across that when I was like looking up other reviews. I was like, oh my god, Shari did it! Shari did a review! Uh, but even Shari did say that like none of the characters are fleshed out. And I was like, uh, yeah. Which is surprising because Meg Cabot writes a lot of standalone books as well as series. Okay. And those I never felt like, since I've read them, I've never felt like those characters weren't fleshed out. Like they mm. always had something to give or some character trait that made them likable versus how come in a series where you like the main thing is to have a good main character does this character just fall so short yeah um I agree wholeheartedly like I guess maybe if we had known a little bit about her dreams and like if she wanted to become like a software developer design computer games because that's something that she is passionate about at the beginning but we don't get that we get that she maybe wants to be a teacher because her parents are teachers maybe like she it sounded more when she was doing the I need to go to school what if I want to go to college that felt more like she was just trying to fight against people like fight against to kind of rush some control yeah I agree with that and while uh a lot of people don't agree with us on this book. Uh, it has a 4.5 star rating on Amazon and a 3 star rating on Goodreads. Oh, well. It's just kind of shocking to me, quite honestly. Um, I did want to share a few reviews from readers that were also traumatized by this book. <laughs> uh, Dawn uh, rated this 1 star out of 5 on Amazon, and she titled her review, What Happened, Meg? Um... I'm a huge fan of Meg Cabot, and I was so excited to get Airhead. I just finished it today, and I must say it was her worst book ever. Someone's brain in someone else's body. Hardly believable. It was terrible. I had to force myself to finish this book. Save yourself some money and get this at the library if you must read it. It's not worth buying. Mine is listed on eBay as we speak. I just hope she hasn't lost her touch in the next book. And then Elizabeth on Goodreads gave it two stars um, and said, 
Airhead lives up to its name because it is some pretty serious YA fluff, it, which is not always a bad thing, but in this case, it's just not great. I'm definitely too old for most May Capit novels, but at best, this deserves three stars. I've given it two because I expect more from fluff. Give me cotton candy, not the insides of a moldy pillow. <laughs> wow. Um, and then Julia uh, on Goodreads also gave it two stars. stars um, and she says, I made the mistake of attempting to reread this book as a grown-up. So she kind of did her own book hate podcast. Mm -hmm. And I had to change my rating from a four star to a one star. I couldn't oh, get past the first three chapters this time. The amount of misogyny in this book is outrageous. Julia, we could not agree more. Whew. So uh, if our listeners are going to take our advice and not read Airhead by May Cabot, do you have any recommendations of maybe books or TV shows or movies that they might enjoy more? I, I do recommend Other Things by Meg Cabot. Okay. I do think her other books are good. I read them. I enjoyed them. If you're looking to read The Princess Diaries, no, it is very different from the movies, and the movies are a loose interpretation <laughs> of the books. I think at times the only thing that seems the same is the names. Okay. But, you know, the, this kind of book, I... I never really read any other sci-fi I think because of it because I thought it was all gonna be dumb like this <laughs> it ruined the whole genre for you it did like the brain transplant sort of thing just completely ruined for me but I feel like there are some action movies that I've seen and now I'm blanking on the names <laughs> so if you're gonna watch something um I'm definitely gonna point you in the gossip girl direction I'm not going to say it's better. It's not. It, <laughs> the characters are just as monstrous. Um, and the sexism in the show is just as rampant. But the clothes are pretty. And um, you get to see New York. Or, like still shots of New York. So that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and But I would recommend as a better option uh, to watch the early seasons of America's Next Top Model. Oh, yeah. Because they did a lot of like what it was like to be... A, like a day in the life of a working model and so they like show the beautiful pictures but they also show like how uncomfortable and like the hard work that goes into being a model which I feel like points of this book were trying to illustrate but Tyra did it better and just go with Tyra yes I would say a series if you like the very light-hearted nature of it but you also want to like to learn about that more famous scene, um, there's a series by Jen Kalanita that is called Secrets of My Hollywood Life. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have those. Yeah, so there's like a bunch, I think there's five or six of them, yeah. where you follow a girl who got into acting when she was a baby, like she started on a soap opera, and you just kind of go through her going to school, meeting a regular boy, like it... It's not as forced of relationships, which is nice, mm -hmm. but, you know, she talks a lot about those, like, working with famous people. She drops names. I think the author actually worked in L.A. for okay. these kinds of people and everything, so I think she was an agent. It's it's just very legit, and it doesn't feel fake. Okay, it's, that it's sounds wonderful. good. Um, so kind of 
more like the fantasy, less sci-fi route I was thinking of was the book Before I Fall by Lauren Oliver. And they made it into a movie a few years ago, which I didn't see, so I can't speak to that. Um, but the book is about a girl who is dies in a car crash and then relieved, relives the days leading up to the crash over and over and over again, kind of like a Groundhog Day scenario. Um, but she gets to make different choices. And so like based on the choices she makes, it changes how the crash happens and um, all of that kind of thing. So I like, so I would recommend that. And Lauren Oliver does do quite a few like, I would almost call them like romantic sci-fi. So she has one called Ringner and Replica. That's like a duology. And it's about um, two girls that are clones of each other and they find out that they have a clone as teenagers. So that was very interesting. I highly recommend that book. Um, the other novel I wanted to recommend is called Gorgeous by Paul Rudnick. And it's about this girl who's like a very average, kind of struggling to make ends meet. And her mother passes away. And then this like fashion designer fairy godfather just kind of like swoops in and gives her something like 10 magical outfits that make her the most beautiful woman in the world. And uh, while she's wearing one of these outfits, she meets a handsome prince and they start to fall in love. But then she starts running out of outfits. And so it's... Oh my God. <laughs> what's going to happen? <laughs> what happened? What happens when I get to my final shoe? <laughs> um, so like it's, I want to say like similar in tone, but like just a little bit better. Now we're going to do our final segment of the podcast. And uh, these are a series of questions. I'm going to ask all of the guests the same questions. And I was definitely inspired by James Lipton from Inside the Actor's Studio. But these are not those questions. They're different questions. So the first one is what book character would you like to be your best friend? So if you could kind of pull somebody out of a book, who would you choose? Oh, man. My brain immediately goes to uh, Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. What an excellent choice. Holy cow. <laughs> I understand. Like, if, no, if anybody's ever read them, the books do not go with the movie. It's very sad when I learned that. But at the same time, Toothless is this tiny little spitfire dragon. And I would love for him to be my best friend. I mean, I consider my dog my best friend, and she has probably the same personality as him. <laughs> and I swear she can breathe fire sometimes because she's just that evil sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, like, he's just the cutest little thing. I mean, at the same time, like, I would do Hiccup, too, because I I fall in love with that movie franchise, and then I read the books. And I was like, oh, he's not terrible. That's good. <laughs> that was a great choice. What book character would you never want to meet? So this could be a character because that's like really mean or scary or somebody who's just rude or boring. Who would you never want to meet? Because I'm currently reading the series, I would never want to meet the king from the Throne of Glass series. Okay, great choice. Because I'm currently rereading that series and trying to get through one of the longer, more boring areas but like he just sounds so scary the king and he's just like completely evil like there 
there's so there's such a trope right now where villains get redemption arcs and i don't think it's possible for him (laughs) if anybody tried to give him a redemption arc i'd be like no he's terrible don't do it it's funny that you're rereading that right now because i just reread it like a week ago um so if you could join the story of a book what book would you join well that's easy maximum ride oh (laughs) it was the first series i loved like i said and it just i think i think the action is good I wouldn't mind being a bird kid. That sounds great. (laughs) But, like, I always looked up to Max as a character. So, and as a role model. So, it would just be so easy. I would be like, cool, I don't care who the bad guys are. I'm just going to slip into your group. Let's go. Let's have this. Awesome. Plus, it's like that, it's that found family trope Mm -hmm. that is so good. (sighs) I love a good found family. (laughs) Who doesn't? They just make me happy. (laughs) And then finally, uh, if you were to serve, have a literary dinner party, so who would you invite and what would you serve to your literary dinner party? So these could be like authors or book characters. My number one would be Max. Obviously, (laughs) yeah, you gotta get Max in there. Um... I probably want Izuku Midoriya from the My Hero Academia series because he would just be hilarious at a dinner party. And then I look at my book series. <laughs> Percy Jackson. Okay. He also, I think him and Annabeth, I'd want them both there. Mm-hmm. And then to round it all out and bring in an author I'd want to meet James Patterson that's like a thing on my bucket list (laughs) I'd bring him in and just be like tell me about your life why do you have so many books sir (laughs) how do you do it how do you do it and then to serve Mm -hmm. my favorite go-to meal is actually a meal that my mom always makes us it's called pasta in a pot and it's essentially jumbo shell noodles in a like lasagna format so you do noodles and then pasta sauce which my mom taught me how to make homemade pasta sauce and then Mm. it's a lot of cheese and then you just keep layering it and it's the greatest thing in the world (laughs) it's like such a good comfort food it's cheesy it's messy you put it in the oven and you bake it and it's it's just like and it's a good like group meal because everybody feels good after eating it and you want to slip into a coma because you ate so much that sounds lovely (laughs) (laughs) so that kind of wraps up um our discussion of airhead by meg cabot um obviously we didn't care for this book because it is on our podcast called book kate um, but if we're wrong and you love book hate, uh, or if you have another option of a book that you might want to suggest for a future podcast, be sure to drop us a line. Um, I'm Ashley. It's been a pleasure. And thank you so much, Tess, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you soon. Bye-bye.